Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle, and today we are continuing with our October spooky mythology theme, and we're going to cover the blue-faced hag known as Black Annis. But we're going to have a special twist in this episode. this last week and I've decided to really implement it this week. I will be still continuing the spooky mythology theme so we are going to be talking about the creature known as Black Annis but after we're going to cover a murder that's also inspired by this creature and this is going to continue through the rest of the month so maybe it's not directly inspired maybe it the people just happen to share the same name or it happens in the same area but i kind of wanted to do the mythology and then also include the more traditional aspect of this podcast which is talking about women in history known for mayhem and murder we'll be talking about black annis first and then we're going to be covering a murder in hertfordshire committed by agnes dell let's get started so inspiration for this episode comes from dc universe's doom patrol which is a fantastic tv series and if you haven't watched it then consider that my media recommendation of the day now you may be asking how doom patrol led me to talking about this figure today which is a very good question. So a little bit of backstory. In Doom Patrol, there is a character known as Crazy Jane Morris. She has dissociative identity disorder, and each of her personalities has a different superpower. And before I continue, I want to know why her name is Crazy Jane. Um, Basically, Jane is a fictive, which means that she is a personality based on a fictional character. Um, Her name actually comes from the character who's presented in a lot of William Yeats poems, so at least that gives it some kind of background. But one of the other personalities presented in Doom Patrol is Black Annis, who acts as a protector deep in Jane's mind. So when I was trying to think of spooky mythical woman for the month, this was the one story that I definitely wanted to tell. Stories of Black Annis have been used to terrify the children of Leicester, for hundreds of years. The myth, according to Monster Wiki, goes something like this. So in the countryside of Leicester, Black Annis lurks in a dark cave in the Dane Hills. An old oak tree marks the entrance of this cave, an oak tree that she will hide in waiting for the chance to snatch somebody up. She was tall and horrible to look at, blue skin, glowing eyes, long sharp teeth, and lethal claw-like hands that she used to tear into the children she caught as she prepared to eat them. After she ate the child, she would hang their skin on the oak tree to dry, and later sew it into her skirt, which was made entirely out of the skin of her victims. So yeah, she's absolutely terrifying. This story would scare me as a grown adult if the first time I heard it was at some campfire in the dark. Speaking of dark, Black Annis would only leave her quarters near the cave to hunt for children in the village at night. 
She especially loved those who were naughty children and found them to be the tastiest. She would also eat farm animals like lamb and sheep, which upset the farmers in the town. So children were warned not to run into the hills surrounding Leicester, especially not alone, as they were more likely then to run into Black Annis and be stolen back to her cave to face a grisly death. Because glass windows were not common back then, it was reported that her long and bony arms would reach through and pull children from their beds at night, which is why I never sleep near a window, even if it does have a glass window pane on it. That doesn't mean it's going to stop a supernatural creature. Reports were that her howls could be heard from miles away, and if you listened, you can even hear her sharp teeth grinding together. So that at least gave you time to prepare for her visit. It's also mentioned that in a British folklore article that I read, that in the late 19th century, the legend had changed a bit. So now Black Annis, who was referred to as Cat Anna here, could be found haunting the cellars under the Leicester Castle. Apparently, there was believed to be a subterranean passage that she would run along from the castle to the Dane Hills. So yeah, so it's a creepy story. Um, I might even go to say that it is a little bit creepier than the La Llorona story that I told last week, um, which is saying something. Let's go into the origin of Black Annis a little bit. Black Annis is also known as Black Anna, Cat Anna, and Black Agnes, and it has many variations. The first known written reference to have been found for Black Annis was actually a title deed in the 18th century that talked about a piece of land known as Black Annie's Bower Close. There's a volume of county folklore that was published by the Folklore Society that also talks about these title deeds from May 13th and 14th of 1764. There are some who believe that the story of Black Annis begins with another woman who was named Agnes Scott and began to change back in 1455. So during her life, Agnes Scott was a Dominican nun who wore a black habit and helped run a colony for people who were sick or homeless. And after her death in 1455, it's thought that her legend took a rather unpleasant turn and became the inspiration for Black Annis to help scare naughty kids into being obedient. There is also a theory that she's one of the supernatural hags mentioned in British folklore, which is not something that I knew existed until I started researching her. One mention is Kai... I'm gonna... I'm going to murder this name, I'm sorry. One mentioned is Kayak Boer, or the Blue Hag of the Highlands. So a lot of the modern concepts of Black Annis was made popular by a poem written by John Hayrick, which was um, completely written in the county folklore edition, but I was only able to find an excerpt on Wikipedia, so I figured I'd share it with you guys there. Tis said the soul of mortal man recoiled, to view Black Annis' eye, so fierce and wild, vast talons, foul with human flesh, there grew, in place of hands and features livid blue, glared in her visage while her obscene waist, warm skins of human victims close embraced. Not without terror they the cave survey, where hung the monstrous trophies of her sway. Tis said that in the rock large rooms were found, scooped with her claws beneath the flinty ground. Inspired by the Black Annis murder, Let's jump into the horrible story of the innkeeper Agnes Dell and the murder she was involved in. Now, how does she relate to Black Annis? Well, you might remember I just mentioned that one of Black Annis's other well-known names is Black Agnes. So that was how I found the tie-in this week. So we are journeying over to Essex in 1602, where a gang of thieves ransacked the home of Anthony and Elizabeth James. Now, only the couple and their children were left there because all of the servants and the people who worked in the house happened to be out at the time. So after going through the house, the thieves murdered 
the adult Anthony and Elizabeth and kidnapped the couple's two young children who were also named Anthony and Elizabeth. The thieves couldn't bring themselves to murder the kids too and instead decided to take them with them. So apparently the boy was about three and the girl was about four. After deciding to take the kids with them, the thieves then went to Hatfield, which was then called Bishop's Hatfield and it was about 20 miles north of London. They stopped the night at an inn run by Agnes, who's also known as Annis Dell. So, and it's thought that maybe the inn run by Agnes Dell was already known to be this kind of like safe space where they could hide or sell stolen goods. Um, apparently that was really popular in drinking establishments in Tudor, England. Interested, of course, in getting a share of the money, Agnes told the gang that the boy should be killed and the girl should have her tongue cut out. And because these are terrible people, having apparently solved what they should do with the kids, they then celebrated for the next couple hours into the night. Now, also at the end this night was a local laborer named Nicholas Deacon and a tailor called Henry Wilpley. They both noticed the kids because, well, one, they were so young, and two, uh, apparently the boy was wearing a really expensive green jacket. Um, and the tailor took notice of that because he was really interested in how it was made. Later that night, the thieves took Anthony to the yard outside at the inn, where they stuffed a cow pie in his mouth and then slit his throat. Now Agnes's son, George, took the thieves to a pond that was like a mile outside of the town, where they then threw Anthony's body into the water. While this was happening, back at the inn, Agnes was the one who forced open Elizabeth's mouth and cut out her tongue with a knife. They then abandoned this four-year-old baby girl in the hollow stump of a tree. So three weeks later, Anthony's body was actually discovered by a group of men who were hunting near that area. Um, his jacket was brought through the town to see if anyone recognized it, and of course, Deacon and Wilpley, who had seen him that night, stepped forward and said that they had seen the boy at the Dell's Inn. So, of course, Agnes Dell was brought in by the local police, but she denied any knowledge of the children. Um, however, since multiple witnesses had seen the children at her place, she was still considered a suspect, but they had no real evidence to charge her with. So, over the next four years, both Agnes Dell and her son were brought in before the police on suspicion of knowing more than what they actually admitted to about Anthony, but there was not enough evidence presented for a trial. However, dun, 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 there was one person who knew the truth of what had happened, Elizabeth Jones. Now, after she'd had her tongue cut out, somehow she had managed to travel for the next few years from place to place begging for food. Somehow she ended up back in Hatfield, and when she came across the Dells Inn, she began screaming because she recognized it. Her screaming then attracted a crowd, and when Agnes Dell and her son came out to see what was going on, she began to scream even louder. Now, the tailor who had seen Elizabeth and her brother that night recognized Elizabeth as having been with the boy at Agnes Dell's inn before he was found dead. At that point, Elizabeth was brought before the local police, but because she couldn't speak, she could not give a testimony and, of course, Agnes Dell and her son denied having ever seen her. Now, at this point, there was nothing that the local justices could do, so Elizabeth was put in 
the care of a parish and she ended up living with a couple and their children while it seemed like the Dells were going to get away with this murder that everyone knew they committed but had no evidence to prosecute them on. So at this point it seems a miracle happens. So one day Elizabeth was playing with one of the other children and they heard a rooster crow. Apparently the other girl mimicked the rooster crowing and then Elizabeth did the same. The two ran home to spread the news and Elizabeth was once again brought before the local police and the judges where she was able to explain everything that happened. They asked her who had cut out her tongue and she said, quote, the old woman and her son that killed her brother and put her into a tree. Then she was asked who had actually taken her to this woman's house and she replied, quote, a man and a woman that had killed her father and her mother and taken a great bag of money from them. She also added that the man and woman had given a great deal of that money to the old woman and that the old woman did at that time lift up her hands three times and swear three times that she would never tell anybody who they were. So at this time, Agnes and George Dell were brought to trial. But because there was the testimony of Elizabeth as well as the other witnesses, both Agnes and her son George were found guilty and sentenced to be hanged. And the pair were actually put to death on August 4th in 1606. So I know that this story takes a little bit of a fantastical turn at the end. And there is suspicion that definitely some parts have been exaggerated. But... There are several sources for the story and official legal records that indicate that this event actually happened. Because the story was originally published in crime pamphlets, which were really popular at the time, it's hard to tell where the fact and the fiction kind of mix, but this actually was based on true events. And it's suspected that maybe the injury to Elizabeth's tongue was not actually as extreme as the accounts made it seem or were exaggerated details or she may have just been a child who witnessed something seriously traumatic and lost the power of speech temporarily until she was finally put into a safer place. I'm glad that this is one story where in the end the people who are guilty had to pay for their crimes although it never actually says what happens to the thieves so that is a mystery that I'm interested in figuring out. Those are our stories of the day. I would love to know what you guys thought of both the Black Anna story and then the Agnes Dell story. Feel free to get a hold of me on social media at Frumius Reads. I'd love to know what you thought or if there's anything that I missed when it comes to either one of these stories. This was a really fun one. I think I like this setup more including the actual murder with the mythology story. So expect that to be the general setup for the month of October. And if you guys have any suggestions for other women in mythology who I should do who are kind of spooky please reach out to me at Freemius Reads and let me know. But that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you more next week. Stay spooky, friends. Bye.